If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Gets off to Taylor. He's in. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Fires that way. Picked off. Darius Leonard at the five-yard line. Plants in the pocket. The Colts bring it down. A sack for Indianapolis. Steps up into the end zone. He throws. Michael Pittman. Touchdown. Let's get the podcast started. What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of the Colts official podcast presented by WinBet. Matt Taylor's here. Lara Overton's here. I'm JJ Stankovitz. We got a couple things to talk about today that we did not get to last week, wrapping up some mini camp observations, getting to a little bit of talk about Stephon Gilmore. Got a good mailbag question about the Jacksonville Jaguars, which ties into Uh, something that Casey talked about on last week's podcast. If you haven't listened to last week's episode of the Colts official podcast presented by Winback, go ahead and check it out. We had a great interview with Morocco Brown, the Colts' recently promoted chief personnel executive. But, guys, the first thing we need to get to here, Kari Willis retired last week. Yep, That was the the big news out of 56th Street. The uh, Colts' safety drafted in 2019 – is retiring from the NFL after three seasons in order to pursue ministry full-time. If if you checked out his Instagram post, uh, he kind of laid out his reasoning there. But, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting thing when you kind of look back on the Colts offseason. You know, and we'll kind of get into this just with the the moves they made at safety. But I want to ask you guys who have been here for Kari's entire career, how are you going to remember – the impact Kari Willis made on and off the field here in Indianapolis. Mate, let's start with you on this. Yeah, no, um, that's good. I, I'll just remember Kari as, you know, the guy that I first interviewed uh, the first time I talked to him on that uh, field at, at uh, up at Grand Park in Westfield. He was quiet, but a guy that was a hard worker who led by example, and he brought it every day. He was – Kari was much wiser beyond his years, and I think everybody could get a good gauge for that. He was on – gave that great speech at the Big Ten Media Day before his senior year at college. So you could tell this guy was, you know, really, really wise and well put together. And I'll just remember him as a guy that battled through adversity, dealt with injuries. He was there for his team. He was there for his family going back to his rookie year. You know, he wouldn't, you know, that story about him spending the night every night uh, at that hospital with his twins, juggled being a player, being a dad, had to balance a lot of responsibilities, and he did it at a very high level. Great football player, and now he's getting a chance to respond to a higher calling, which is beyond cool. So, it's it's very very you know great for him that he's able to you know understand what he's about you know what he's you know put on this earth to do and I don't doubt for a minute that he'll lead by example in the ministry aspect of things just like he did you know with the Colts a guy who's going to go all in and and bring the energy um, every day but this time just in a, in a new walk of life if you will Lara uh, I know you saw Frank Reich's statement that he put out um, you know but in case anyone missed it quote. We're thankful and appreciative of Kari's contributions to the Colts, both on and off the field over the last three seasons. Kari's character, leadership, and professionalism will be missed in our locker room, as will his play on Sundays. I admire and respect his decision to transition into the next stage of his life and ministry, and my prayers will always be with him. I mean, who better than Frank Reich to support Kari Willis in this journey 
that he's going on Lara, right? JJ, exactly. I mean, Frank is a guy who, after his playing career, spent time in the ministry. And just last week, Frank spent Father's Day weekend uh, leading a sermon at a church within central Indiana. So it's something even in the off season that he can tr- continues to contribute to and still a big part of who he is in complement to his coaching career. And with Kari, you knew this was not going to be a decision that he entered into lightly. It's clearly something that he has spent a lot of time an investment before making the decision to retire from playing and now invest himself in this next chapter of his career. And I talked with him last week, traded a few messages with him, and he seemed incredibly at peace. Football is something certainly that he loved, loved being a part of the locker room, loved getting out there and competing. But, you know, Mete, you mentioned some of what he has gone through, what he went through, especially that rookie year with his twins being born incredibly premature. That is certainly something that will impact you to your core, will change you as a person and probably something that would trigger you to really evaluate what you're doing with your life and if you are called to do something different and at the time you're called to do that. So I think that this is something that is just so admirable of of Kari to have a passion to do this and to be able to examine what he's done to this point in his career and feel fulfilled with what he was able to do in those three seasons and now take this inspiration and this passion that he has to impact and impact uh, so many lives because that's one thing you saw the impact that he had on a locker room on 52 other guys you just imagine what he can do when he invests himself in in ministry and invests himself in that facet moving forward but truly one of the best guys always had the most insightful conversations and such a genuine person his impact will be missed undoubtedly but so excited to follow this next chapter of his career and what he'll do and no doubt i think we'll still we'll still hear from him guys will keep in touch with him and we'll kind of keep tabs on what he's doing as he moves forward just like we do with all of the alumni guys and bring them back and you know do the podcasts or have them back for games and all of that and i would expect that kari would be someone who obviously still has those close connections to the organization and you know we'll hear from him and be sure that we keep tabs on what he's up to up to moving forward yeah you know and, and when you think about the on-field impact that kari made you just think about a good player you know 39 games 33 starts four interceptions uh one of those is a pick six he had in 2020 Batted down a couple passes, forced a fumble, had a couple sacks, 219 tackles, seven quarterback hits. A guy who Matt Eberflus did a really good job of knowing when to send him on a blitz. And when Kari blitzed, he would usually hit home on it, um, whether that's with a quarterback hit or with a sack. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- this does leave a bit of a void in the Colts' defense. But the Colts are pretty well insulated uh, when it comes to the safety position. You know, you. you you go back to the offseason signing Rodney McLeod, a veteran with dec- you know, a decade of starting experience. Armani Watts, you know, a veteran backup special teams guy, uh, you know, spent his the first four years of his year in Kansas City, and then going back and trading into the third round to get Nick Cross, ninety-six overall. The, this is a if you're gonna lose someone at a position, you're you feel okay about your depth at safety. And as we were talking about this when we were kind of off air last week, you know, digesting the news about Kari, you know, we we were talking about, okay, you know, Rodney McLeod and Julian Blackman. And by the way, Julian looks awesome. Like <laughs> you would not know that Julian Blackman tore his Achilles 
uh, seven and a half months ago, watching him out on the practice field during OTAs and minicamp. So if, if your starting safeties are Julian Blackman and Rodney McLeod, but Nick Cross is able to compete right. and, you know, for a starting spot, that's a good situation to be in where you've got two veterans and you've got a an ascending rookie who the Colts really, really value his skill set. I, I don't want to say, you know, sit here and be like, the Colts are, are totally fine at safety because, you know, even with Kari Willis retiring, because right. there are some things that still need to play out. But you feel good about where the team is. Like, I, I had a couple friends text me after Kari retired being like, okay, well, like, who's available? Who's out there? Who can the Colts go and sign? Who can they trade for? And I was like, I don't think they really need to. I don't think they need to go address it. If you look at, you know, the the move the Colts did to, uh, you know, take Kari Willis's spot on the roster, they went and signed uh, F- Fayidi Odenigbo. Mm-hmm. Uh, did I pronounce that right, Mate? It's uh, Afedi Odenigbo. Thank you. Afedi yeah. Odenigbo. Mm-hmm. Um, they got a Dio Odenigbo and an Afedi Odenigbo. Uh-huh. Um, but they, they went out and signed a defensive end. They didn't go immediately replace Kari Willis right. with another safety, and I think that speaks to the depth that the Colts have at that position. And the only reason I know of Fetty is because he played on a team. I don't know which one off the top of my head, but he played for a team the Colts played last year. So that's why phonetically, yeah, probably, yeah, probably. They all run together, you know, when you play 20 games. Um, But, no, I think you're exactly right. I think it's a battle right now between Julian Blackman, who, as you said, J.J., looks fantastic out there, is so ahead of schedule. Barring no setbacks in his rehab, he's going to be out there. And I think McLeod and Nick Cross. Cross can absolutely play. He's got instincts, speed, physicality. I mean, that was all over his college tape. He can play free safety. He can play strong safety. It's pretty evident that that dude wants to tackle, and he's not afraid of contact. But don't overlook the leadership, the experience, and the wisdom of Rodney McLeod. Like you said, you know, a wealth of experience, you know, starting 10 years, you know, for a couple of different franchises, most recently the Eagles. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens leading into the regular season in week one. Will it be the guy who has a ton of upside in Nick Cross that has a chance to be the future on a rookie deal playing in his first NFL game, sort of that baptism by fire mentality, Lara? Or somebody do you go with a ton of experience that can help guide the secondary when you're trying to get off to a good start, right? You're on the road. It's a division game. You're trying to set the tone uh, for the season, get off to a good start, which has been a bugaboo for the franchise, right? Haven't won a, a week one game since 2013, looking for your first division championship since 2014. Larry, how do you look at it? Would you start the guy that has a ton of upside? Not that McLeod doesn't, but would you like that that guiding force you know, feel kind of comfortable and, and confident that the guy back there in a really important game week one has a ton of experience, you know, with the run of, uh, of Rodney McLeod. I love Rodney McLeod. Immediately, the first time we talked to him, he came in, he had presence, he had command. He is a guy who enters into the room kind of like what Mike Mitchell did a few years ago when he stepped into the locker room and played that single season. It was a similar sense that I got from a guy who is an immediate impact contributor. And I think that this situation is well suited to the dynamic you have with your defensive back group now, where you have Coach Ron Milas leading that group, but also Mike Mitchell as the assistant 
to that group. So Mike's in a position where he's not so far removed, what, two, three years removed from his own playing career, and he can immediately embrace that group and be that almost hybrid vet player coach with that group under the leadership, the tutelage, the fantastic experience that Ron Miles has of leading a number of different defenses, especially success in the secondary. So yeah, I think Ronnie McLeod is, you know, the word, the phrase plug and play, I think is overused, but he kind of is, he is that guy who can step right in and be that immediate contributor week one. You don't know yet if Julian Blackman's going to be ready. You don't want to rush him to be ready. And you're really excited about what Nick Cross gives you in the long-term perspective in that broad outlook. So, and then you have a Ronnie Watts as well. So you have a wealth of kind of different variations and different guys, different skill sets that complement each other well. So it's going to be an interesting scenario in training camp when you see how those guys are working together and which combinations are working together within this defense. Because you know in a Gus Bradley system, the safeties are imperative. High caliber safety play is one of those things that Gus calls upon. So that part of, you know, not to harp on a point that we've made time and time again this spring, but That's what made this spring and that early summer period so critical is all of those guys have been in here from day one. They were all participating in the majority of the OTAs and, of course, minicamp as well. So that's going to pay dividends when you get to late July, you're getting there into Grand Park, and you are looking to a group that is playing almost at a you know mid-season level, but doing it at the beginning of the season, to your point, that's an area that's a time frame in which the Colts have struggled as late, but you have a group right now that's ready to step up and do that. And, you know, it's not like this is abrupt from Kari. We know that he was excused from mini camp. He clearly was taking his time to deliberate on that decision. So that group's already been playing together. And, you know, JJ, you mentioned how well Julian Blackman has looked of late. So you have great encouragement from that perspective as well, but tons of confidence in this group, not only because the guys you have, but the leadership that you have that stems from Ron Miles and then in complement to it, Mike Mitchell as well. Well, and don't discount the possibility for some three safety looks too. That That's something that's kind of coming into vogue around the NFL. Colts got three safeties. You could probably feel okay putting out there. And, and one just quick note to wrap this up. I don't want, you know, we, we talk about Rodney McLeod and the veteran impact that he brings and, you know, he can kind of be in that Mike Mitchell role, which is really important, but I don't want to sell his playing skills short. Over the last three seasons, the lowest passer rating allowed when targeted among safeties with a minimum of 70 targets, number five, Jordan Poyer on the Bills, 64.5. Number four, Micah Hyde, also on the Bills, 60.8. Number three, Devin McCourty, of course, of the New England Patriots at 55.5. Number two, Harrison Smith, the future Hall of Fame safety for the Minnesota Vikings, 54.8. And number one, Rodney McLeod, Mm 48.6. So he can still ball a little bit. Let's not sell him short. All right, let's talk a little bit more about any other, uh, you know, things we noticed in minicamp. Mete, you know, you you weren't on the podcast last week. You were down in Key West Mm -hmm. celebrating your anniversary. uh, Happy anniversary, (laughs) by the way. Getting a little tan on down there. A little bit to the degree that I can, right? Hopefully you weren't thinking too much about uh, mini tan while you were down there. Is it a red to tan for you, Mete? 
You know, I, I think I did pretty good this time, Larry. Normally you're right, um, but this time I don't know. Like, what, JJ, what, what would you say this is? I mean, uh, it's we're not, looking at about a four and a half there. Yeah, it's not a complete yeah. red crab look. It's it's more like, a, I wouldn't say bronze. I wouldn't go as far to say bronze, what JJ. Kind of, what but kind of SPF are you using there? I was very diligent about the 30. Normally I'm like, you know, T-shirt or 50. I, I was I was pretty diligent and I, I have I have more color now than I have in probably ten years. Let's put it that way. Well nice, it was a great nice. time. It was a fantastic time. Sounds like a fantastic time. I appreciate time. you guys holding down the fort though. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of course. Really quickly though, talking about uh anniversaries, a big congratulations to Colts quarterback Sam Ellinger, who got married yeah. this week. So, oh did he? Yeah, wow. So, fantastic. Yeah. fantastic. Got married so in uh, Aspen. Guys- had, yeah, a uh, number of the guys were out there to celebrate with him. So excited for, for Sam and his wife. So congratulations to them. So, Mete, just want to get your thoughts, you know, a little bit on minicamp here. Mm-hmm. What did you learn about the Colts wide receiver competition and where it stands in terms of, you know, maybe you, we know where Michael Pittman's going to be, but figuring out who the number two is, who the number three is, and then figuring out which of those guys is going to make the roster? What sort of foundational knowledge do right. you gain during OTAs and yeah. minicamp about that? I think the Colts came out of camp, or minicamp that is, uh, pretty confident in what they have. And and to a man, when you talk to these guys on the side, like Paris Campbell or Ashton Doolin or Desmond Patman, they all said they, they've heard the noise all season long about how the fan base or the analysts, people think they should bring in a veteran. There's not enough playmakers. Not, there's not enough experience in this group. And as of now, the Colts feel like they haven't felt the need to to go that route. I mean, had minicamp gone poorly from the receiver angle, I'm sure a move would have been made by now. So the fact that it's you know status quo heading into training camp tells me the Colts like the upside of the group. Matt Ryan can continue to kind of help turn these guys into reliable weapons on offense. They're being asked to handle more. And just because, again, we've said this ad nauseum, just because they haven't doesn't mean they can't. Um, but it's about eight guys right now competing for only a couple of spots because Pittman, Pierce, Campbell, Doolin, all of those guys are making this team if they stay healthy. So that leaves about two spots open for Desmond Patman, Mike Strawn, Kiki QT, DeMichael Harris, and some others to make the last spots, assuming the Colts keep about six receivers on the roster, J.J. Yeah, and I, I think the w- what I want to see out of training camp is is kind of similar to what we saw last year, where a guy like a guy and Mike Strawn really emerged during camp, and it didn't wind up translating to him getting a, a you know a lot of playing time, a lot of yeah. targets in the regular it, season. It begged the question: what What are we seeing? How How translatable right. is this? But you know? I think I think that stuff matters for later in the season. The Colts didn't need to call on Mike Strawn, as it turned out. But if they did, I think the, those reps he got, the the knowledge he gained, the experience he gained, uh, I think that would really help if he needed to go later in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just want to see good competition. That That's what you want to see. You want to see, hey, Tesman Patman went out there and made a great play. Now, all right, Mike Strawn, you go out and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to see that, the, the competition breeding more success there. Um, we also heard a little bit a couple weeks ago from Matt Ryan on getting in sync and rhythm with his receivers in the offseason. Um, let's just take a little listen to what Matt had to say about that. I, I definitely think it starts now. You know, there's there's so much uh, that goes into just kind of understanding guys' body language, how they move, um, you know, with their catch radius, 
is, you know, how, how, how they track balls uh, in the air. Um, and just, you know, them getting a feel for how my ball comes in and timing. And uh, I think all those things are, are really important. And, you know, I, I think we've made good strides. I think, you know, from, from a passing standpoint, I do think you get a lot of good work in the pass game this time of the year, which is, which is nice. And so uh, I do think we've, you know, we've come a long way in, in from where we were, you know, first time, you know, throwing with each other to where we are right now. Uh, it's a lot better. So, again, uh, a cool thing Matt Ryan's doing here is he's going in small groups. Um, you know, he said it's, you know, a little bit, um, you know, he, he only has one arm, and that delved into a whole terrible idea I had about having a, you know, <laughs> dual-arm quarterback last week that we don't need to get back into. An ambidextrous quarterback? Is that what you Yeah, it, it was a great idea. It was a great idea, Matt. <laughs> a robot quarterback? No, no. Like, literally, a guy could throw th- – I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing this bit again. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. It. I didn't mean it to was, open up a can of worms. It was all over the podcast. Lara literally looked at Casey and gave Casey a look like, what is he talking sorry, about? Sorry, my bad. Anyways, uh, <laughs> later on, Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated uh, talked to Matt Ryan, who said he's going to throw in groups of like two, I think is what he said. Okay. Um, so that's good to just really develop that chemistry that, you know, you could already see starting to develop with a guy like Naheem Hines, who we do want to keep talking about here just because, again, you know, he's been kind of one of the stories of the last couple of months here. So, you know, it, it Naheem Hines got a lot of work at receiver during minicamp, during OTAs, you know, kind of helping with his route running, his footwork. Having a guy like Reggie Wayne, pretty nice, uh, you know, to learn from there. So is Naheem Hines, is he going to have the best season of his career? Mate, we talked about this last week a little bit on the podcast, but for from your perspective, you've seen every snap Naheem Hines has taken in his NFL career. You know what he can do. You know how he can make defenses change their math or mm-hmm. change what they're able to do. What can he do if he's lined up a little more as a wide receiver this year or out of the backfield, whatever it may be, if he's a little more involved in the passing game, right. does that set him up for the best, most productive season of his career? I, I think it does. You know, it's not lip service when Frank Reich says, you should draft this guy on your fantasy team. I don't think it's lip service when Chris <laughs> Ballard at the Combine, you know, calls out Naeem Hines and says he's one of their top three playmakers on offense with Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor. So based on what we've seen so far this this offseason, I, I do indeed think he's destined for the best season of his career because he'll be used as a running back. He'll be used as a wide receiver. I think he'll routinely get you about 50 scrimmage yards per game, if not more, next season. And, Larry, he looked like the fastest guy on the field during many camps. He's always the fastest guy on the field, but he looks even faster so I think the fact that he can play in the slot certainly adds another dimension to the offense because he's a running back that can be used as a wide receiver. He'll take advantage of the middle of the field. He'll take advantage of matchups against nickel corners. Uh, he'll take advantage of matchups against linebackers. So from a roster construction standpoint, Larry, it's like having you know a seventh wide receiver on the roster, and he's a playmaker. He can run all the routes. You know, he had one of the highlights of, of minicamp, you know, on a wheel route in the end zone during a red zone drill. A beautiful pass uh, from Matt Ryan over the shoulder catch. So I just think it takes a little bit of, of, of pressure off the need of this offense because he is a running back but also can act as, you know, maybe that veteran wide receiver, Lara, that a lot of the fan base has been clamoring about. And in terms of how the Colts need that guy, maybe that guy can be Naeem Hines. 
Well, and I think what's interesting is in the last few weeks when I've looked up the different stories and things on Naheem and his contributions, there have been a number of articles in Compliment 2 that have popped up in the Google search referencing Debo Samuel. Like, I mean, that's a very unique person, a very unique player and how they utilized him, certainly. But I thought that was interesting that there were those comparisons that were floating around out there. And it's, of course, that time of year when everyone's wanting to speculate and draw comparisons and do all those different things. But to me, that was something that was really intriguing. But you're exactly right in the speed of Naheem Hines was on display like we have not seen it before. And I don't know if part of that's because we haven't seen this spring period in so long because it's been modified or we've had limited access. It's like, has he maybe he looked like this last year and we just weren't aware of it. Maybe he looked like this two years ago and there was no sort of OTA period that we were exposed to it because there's a difference in what you're doing in the spring and then what you're doing in, you know, training camp and how you're getting ready for the season. But Naheem is a guy who always prioritizes his speed in the spring. He goes back to Raleigh. He'll do a bunch of track workouts um, and all of that type of work so that he is emphasizing that speed, that breakaway speed that he wants to be able to contribute. And one of the things I thought that was really funny that is telling to the dynamic that is forming between Naheem and Matt Ryan is there was a quote from when Naheem did media availability a couple weeks ago. And he said that Matt's birthday was like two or three weeks ago. And he asked him, how old are you? Matt Ryan's like, I'm 39. And Naheem said, I was like, dang, I thought you were older. Philip was like 39. I thought he was that age. So I just thought that this was like such a, so funny that you have Naheem like, oh man, you're kind of old. Like you're kind of reminding me of Philip, which is so funny to me. And I love that kind of banter. And Naheem is one of those guys who's so darn likable. He can kind of get away with that knock on his new quarterback a little bit by joking with him about, you know, being uh, up near that Philip Rivers type of age, but it also, I think it complements or goes back to the points we made in the similarities. You know, Reggie Wayne has obviously called out the similarities between Matt and Peyton. We've had a lot of similarities between Matt's presence on the field and, you know, Philip Rivers and, you know, how he was able to quickly assimilate into that locker room and was immediately beloved by his teammates and kind of similar situations. Philip spending the entirety of his career in yeah, with the Chargers before coming to Indianapolis. Matt spending the entirety of his career with Atlanta before coming to the Colts. So I thought that that was a funny um, little sidebar from, from minicamp was the guys joking with Matt a little bit about his age. But I think that some of that does come from, you know, what he brings into that offense, that leadership, that level of expectation, the way that he calls guys to rise up to a particular level, not just in how they play, but how you show up in meetings, how you conduct yourself when you're on the field, what you're doing uh, before practice, after practice, all of those things. Matt is one of those guys who can be vocal, vocal and certainly lead by voice and lead by his command on the field, but he also is a lead by example guy as well. He's spent immense extra time around the facility, you know, making sure that he's in meetings with the coaching staff, with the rest of the offense. You mentioned how he's going and having these small group throwing sessions. And I think that to the conversation on wide receivers, I think that those breakoff sessions that Matt is leading with a variety of pass catchers, that will be really telling come training camp 
how guys were gelling, how guys were working together and how they took the opportunity that they had to work with Matt and then implemented that to what they did over the course of the remainder of the summer in preparation for training camp. I think those things will show themselves pretty early and pretty often when you get to that first week in Westfield. So just real quick to, to wrap up on Naheem Hines, because I didn't get to this this stat last week, but in 2020, which so far has been probably the, the best year of Naheem Hines' career, the most productive year, he led he, he was the highest graded receiving running back by pro football focus that year. He was third in receiving yards behind Alvin Kamara and J.D. McKissick. He had 490 receiving yards that year. 483 of those came after the catch. So, again, that's the kind of talent that yeah. Naheem Hines has. Just get the ball in his hands. He's going to make something happen. But that year, he only ran 8.5% of his uh, pass snaps out of the slot, which is pretty high mm-hmm. for a running back, but it can be higher. You know, you look at some of the other guys, even at, like a guy like Chase Edmonds that year, uh, who's now in the Miami Dolphins, he ran 25% of his snaps out of the slot that season. Uh, Saquon Barkley has run 20% out of the slot. So there is definitely room for growth mm-hmm. there, and I think that's what you're seeing the Colts try to do right now is even if you can up that from you know 8 to 10% to 15% of Naheem Hines' snaps out of the slot, that is, again, going to challenge defenses in a way that makes it difficult. If you want to play base personnel and you got Naheem Hines in the slot, you got him matched up against a – a linebacker, Sam linebacker, right? You know, that's trouble. Right. You want, you know, you get him out there, even if he's matched up against a safety. Right. That's a pretty good look. But if you want, hey, you want a nickel out there? All right, we'll throw Jonathan Taylor at you. There, there are so many different things you can do. Sure. Because of Naheem Hines' presence, really excited to see how that plays out. Another guy I'm excited how to see he plays out. Uh, that didn't make any sense. Another guy <laughs> who I'm excited meant, to though. see how it plays out is with Stefan Gilmore and how he transitions in to Gus Bradley's defense. I had a chance to chat a little bit with Stefan during minicamp, and I want to play that conversation here before we kind of start talking about him. What's the process been like just kind of getting down Gus's defense over the last couple weeks here? It's been fun. You know, uh, you know, I always uh, knew Gus from afar. You know, mm-hmm. his defense was always great. But, um, you know, it's been fun, you know, just coming in and learning the scheme, you know, and um, learning from the guys around that's been in the scheme, like Faison and uh, mm-hmm. those guys. So uh, I'm just looking forward to opportunity, uh, learning from the coaches and uh, making plays for my teammates. What stood out to you about how your skill set can fit in this defense at this point right now? A lot stood out. You know, I, I know the scheme. I, you know, I've been in the league for a while, yeah. you know, and I see you know, how those guys played. And, um, you know, I think it fits my, my style of play a lot, you know, so. Um, it's only going to help me make plays, you know. Just, I just got to keep putting day in and day out, putting the work in, making, working on my technique and um, trusting my teammates and, and go from there. Something Gus said is that you're able to play both the reed corner and the zebra corner on the outside without giving away too much of the scheme. What are the, the different responsibilities of those positions and how do you fit in those? Yeah, for sure. You know, you got to be versatile. You know, you can't be one-dimensional. Uh, whatever they ask me to do, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and um, do it well. So um, I'm just looking forward to it. Um, just keep learning eat day in and day out, um, finish off tomorrow strong and go into training camp. We get to see you out on the practice field and, and the stuff you're doing out there, but what has it been like behind the scenes with meetings, film study, just kind of learning some of the intricacies of this defense? It's been good, you know, just like I, like you say, the film room has been great. You know, Milo been 
you know, on us every day, you know, teaching us, you know, technique and how are we going to do this. And everyone's taking it serious, you know, that's what I like because the ultimate goal is to be great on the field and everybody wants that. So um, it's, it's fun to be in a group like that and um, it puts the work in and, you know, the sky's the limit from there. You know, you're going on a decade in the NFL. You're a former defensive player of the year, accomplished a lot. But how is it learning something new and, and just kind of getting the detail down of something that, that, you know, a system that you maybe haven't been in before? Does it kind of make you feel, like, rejuvenated at all? I don't think it's new. I mean, people think it's new. I did it in New England okay. in Buffalo. But it's just sometimes I didn't do it as much. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's... To be honest, football is football. It's, it's uh, you know, it's just exiting those, how they run their routes, you know. Once you get the scheme down, the, the ultimate goal is to stop the offense. So that's the part that, you know, I really take pride in the studying the offense and knowing what they're going to do before they do it. Well, what stood out to you about the offense you've been facing out here in practice, Matt Ryan, Michael Pittman Jr., some of those guys? Those guys get after it every day, you know. Um, Pittman, uh, Parrish, you know, all those guys. Um, they, they're pushing us every day. You know, they're making contested catches. You know, Matty Ice, you know, he's been making plays for a long time. He's, and he, he can put the ball anywhere. So uh, I'm happy to, you know, be competing with those guys on the field every day. It's going to make us a lot better. Last one for you, Stefan. Has the culture here been kind of what you expected it to be? It's great, man. It's, it's, uh, it's a good group, you know. It's, you know, the coaches, you know, pushing us. The players want to be great. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's going to be uh, fun. You know, it's, the ultimate goal is to win on Sundays, but I think we we putting ourselves in a position to be there. We just got to keep earning it each and every day and, and carry it over to the training camp. All right, so I think the interesting thing that I took away from what Stefan said is I, I, I did kind of ask him a little bit, a, a couple times about the transition to Gus's defense. And he kind of made the point of like, you know, look, I've been around a while. I've played in this. So I went and I looked at it. And over his career, Stephon Gilmore's played a lot in cover three, which is kind of the typical Gus Bradley coverage scheme. And he's played a lot of press in cover three, 134 press snaps in cover three, Mm -hmm. 946 in cover one, which is obviously what you would expect when you're going with cover one. Those are the two general coverages that, that Gus Bradley has played the most in his career, used the most in cover one and cover three. This was interesting, though. So 2018, that's when Gilmore uh, was the AP Defensive Player of the Year. That year, when he was playing in cover three and he wasn't pressing, he allowed a 15.8 passer rating. Like, that's like you might as well just not even throw the ball his way. <laughs> if you just don't throw the ball Stephon Gilmore's way, it's a 39.6 passer rating. Like it pa- was, Passer ratings go up to, like, what, 158? 158.3. That's the perfect one? Yeah. yeah. So that was, like, <laughs> 15 out of 158. Yeah. So that that just shows, again, like Gilmore has experience and he has experience playing at a very high level in this. Mete, though, when, when you think about where Gilmore is in his career, he's into his 30s. He the, the physical traits do not look like they have dropped off. The detail with which he plays is only increasing. Mm-hmm. How do you think his skill set fits the way that Gus Bradley wants to play and – just for a little bit of context here, I think every defensive coordinator wants to have a press corner, right? That just changes your math as a as a defense. Right. Takes one receiver out. Right. But Gus Bradley has not had someone who can do that. The last time 
a Gus Bradley defense was in the top half of the NFL and playing press coverage was 2017, his first year with the, uh, the L.A. Chargers. The last time he was in the top 10 was 2015 with the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Vegas last year was 24th. The Chargers were 25th, 32nd, 28th, and 14th in his time there. So I think, again, Chosey, Gus, if he can play press, he's going to play it, mm-hmm. but he needs the guys to do it. Right, he's got to have the horses. guy to do it. Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, the way that Stephon Gilmore has shown that he can play on an island throughout the course of his career is perfect for what Gus Bradley wants to do because I think the Colts will play a ton of press men, maybe more than we think. And, again, that's Gilmore's strength. I still think he can cover at an elite level, and he's thrived on being on an island in his career in coverage. And the Colts, in general, are going to expect their corners to play very physical at the line of scrimmage. And that's going to – it's it's sort of that yin and yang. It's that accordion piece, you know, the, the defensive line in concert with the secondary and vice versa. That's going to help the pass rush get home. If the secondary is allowing no free releases – no big plays down the field, that helps the pass rush. And I think the Colts, because of that, with those two things benefiting, I should say, with a guy like Stephon Gilmore and Unique Ngakwe, you've got two premium players at premium positions on either side of that accordion piece. I think the Colts are in store to remedy their high completion percentage allowed, their big plays allowed by elite quarterbacks. That's been the bugaboo the last couple of years. So if you can – if you can fix those two problematic things on defense the last two years, the rest of the defense has shown that it, it's elite in the other areas, right, in slowing down the run and taking the football away. If you take away those two things or remedy those two things, high completion percentage and big plays allowed, then I think you have the potential Lara for a complete defense with guys like uh, Darius Leonard at linebacker, DeForest Buckner, Unique Ngakwe up front, Stephon Gilmore, and then Kenny Moore, who's an elite-level player at his nickel corner position. And that's one of the things that you harp, we harped on all offseason when you brought these new pieces in, and a lot of the, not only from the perspective of new players looking to guys like Unique and Stephon, but when the coaching staff came in, when Gus Bradley came in, Richard Smith, Ron Miles, everyone, one of the things that they all emphasized is this is a defense that has a Pro Bowl player at every level of the right. defense. And now you right. just added a couple of guys to that already because you already had DeForest and Darius and Kenny. Then you had Stefan, you had Unique, you had your draft guys like Nick Cross in there. So yeah, it's absolutely a very high level of expectation because there were times that with this defense, especially last year, the foundation was really solid, but they seemed to have lacked that next level. They didn't take that leap that they were looking for in terms of their production. They were outstanding, you know, in the takeaway game, outstanding at creating turnovers. But there was a sense of it was time for this defense to evolve. These guys needed to be challenged, needed to be pushed. And I think this is a perfect opportunity when you not only have new leadership with Gus Bradley, but you also have contributing factors like guys who come in with a wealth of experience, a guy like Anik Ngakwe who can help the young pass rushers, Dio Dangbo, Quiddy Pay, Ben Banagu. They can help across that front and JJ and I talked with Unique just a couple of weeks ago and I mean he could have gone on and on right JJ about Quiddy Pay and how much that they've enjoyed working together already then you think about having a Stefan Gilmore and what he can do in that group working with the remainder of those young corners who he has surrounding him as well to help elevate those guys so yeah you already had such a high caliber of production 
Now with the pieces you added and a little bit of an evolution in scheme, certainly this is a, a top tier defense that is going to be looked upon to have high level of production in a multitude of facets. There are just a couple things I, I've been thinking about with the Colts defense. And again, you know, we're about a month out, uh, a little more than a month out from training camp, but just how some of these things play out. And they're, they're a little, they're a little more like, they're not as obvious as how's Stefan Gilmore going to impact it. How's unique and Gakwe? Cause those things you can already see it. Right. But I want to know, I want to see what John Fox's influence can be here. Cause it's not like Fox is coming in to change the scheme. Gus Bradley is going to run what he runs, but John Fox has this, this base in running quarters, which is not something that Gus Bradley has run a whole lot in his career, but it is something that is becoming a little more in vogue uh, from teams around the NFL running it on early downs. So first and second down, running a lot of quarters. Is that something that John Fox can bring? Hey, for these specific matchups, like when we play the Chiefs, where, where Patrick Mahomes has had a lot of success right. against cover three in his career, can we throw that wrinkle in of we're going to play a lot of quarters on early downs or we're going to drop eight into coverage like the Bengals did mm -hmm. in the AFC Championship? That little influence, I'm fascinated to see how that plays out. Or even if it just, like Frank Reich said, even if it just puts that little seed of doubt. Sure. You know, you're game planning and you're like, huh, John Fox is there. I wonder if they're going to play a little more quarters. Yeah. Just that little thought can spawn a lot more things that come out on Sundays. And then the other thing we already talked about it a little bit is that three safety look. Could the Colts, because of their depth at safety, deploy that? Again, situationally, it's not like they're going to rely on that. But all of a sudden, you've got Nick Cross, Rodney McLeod, and Julian Blackman on the field at the same time. What advantages does that give you? against certain offenses and certain schemes you're going to face. There are a lot of different things. This team, again, because, Lara, like you mentioned, you kind of need this evolution, this refresh. You were in the Matt Eberflus scheme for four years, and there were little tweaks that he did along the way. But this is a big one now coming in with Gus Bradley's scheme and just how can you use the talent you have in this roster and use the personnel you have and the coaches you have to kind of be a little less predictable in some things and give these little wrinkles that can give you just that, like Frank likes to say, a 1% edge on game day. There are a lot of really interesting things to get into with this defense. Um, the the other thing that we're looking at, you mentioned Quiddy Pay, and I want to talk a little bit about some sophomore jumps. Uh, I just read in The Athletic, Nate Tice, who does a tremendous job writing for them, podcasting for them, he pegged Quiddy Pay as his breakout candidate for the 2022 season among second-year oh, defense wow. events. Oh, wow. So let's go here. Oh, wow. The Colts have six players entering their second year uh, in the NFL from being drafted last year. Pay, Dio Odangbo, Kylan Granson, Sam Ellinger, the new married man, Mike Strawn, and Will Fries. Of those guys, Maytay and Lara, I want to throw this out to you guys. Which player is ready for a the biggest jump going into year two? from those guys who were drafted last year. So, again, Quiddy, Dio, Granson, Ellinger, Strawn, yeah. Fries. Mete, who you got? I, I've got to agree with Nate. It, it has to be Quiddy Pay because if you look at those six, you know, from a role production standpoint, you know, what the team needs out of um, each of those guys, Quiddy is going to be asked, I think, the most of because he's a starter opposite of Yannick Ngakwe. You know, the addition of Ngakwe – on the right side, if you will, of the defensive line 
that's going to take pressure off of Quiddy because now Quiddy's on the left side of the defensive line and he's not going to be going up against left tackles. He's going to be able to beat you know, some right tackles and take advantage of some of those matchups. And he admitted during minicamp a couple of weeks ago that his better side of the line is the left side because he thinks he has more power, more burst from that side with his dominant right hand down, right? So last year he had four sacks. I think he could double that, maybe even reach for greater heights. I wouldn't be surprised, Lair, if he's at if he's at ten sacks by like week fifteen or sixteen with a couple games to go in the regular season. So out of those guys, I'm going with Quiddy. Do you agree? Or is there another guy that's maybe like a little bit of a dark horse among those other five? I a hundred percent agree. I'm going to say just for sake of conversation, to have someone else as, you know, kind of a, a second choice is Dio Adangbo purely because it's a guy who wasn't available until the last day of October. I mean, he played in his first game of the season, October 31st, that Halloween game. So he missed nearly half of the season. So by pure availability and the fact that when we heard from him over OTAs, he was very candid in saying he was healed, but he wasn't 100% playing himself didn't have all of the confidence that he needed coming off of that repaired Achilles. So I think that that's my next guy to take a leap is Dio Adangbo. I think Quiddy is definitely the number one. I do think Dio just behind that from a sure, from a sheer availability standpoint and looking at the rest of those guys. I mean, when you look at Kylan Granson is going to be in a heavy tight end battle. There is, there are a lot of guys up there who are going to be fighting for catches in there. Mike Strawn as well, quite very crowded wide receiver room. Uh, so based on sheer opportunity, as you mentioned, getting a starting role. Yeah. I think Quiddy pay is hundred percent going to be that guy to Nate Tice's point with that article that just came out. They Dio too. So you stole the words right out of my mouth, Lara. It's a good call. We are in sync. We are in sync. Absolutely. Uh, all right, let's go to the mailbag. Let's play the jingle. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to will. All right, our mailbag question this week comes from G.I. Joe at Combat Joe 1010 on Twitter. He DM'd me this one last week, which, again, if you're listening to this and you have a question about the Colts, you can always tweet it or DM it at us, at JJ Stankovitz, at Lara Overton, at Maytay Colts on Twitter. Question is, Matt Ryan is 4-0 against the Jaguars. Is this the year we finally snap the losing streak in Duval County? And this one, I wanted to talk about this more because last week we had our mailbag question was, what would constitute a successful season for the Colts, obviously beyond winning the Super Bowl? And Casey's answer was winning in Jacksonville. So I love, I love that we can talk a little bit about this, that Matt Ryan, he hasn't lost to the Jaguars in Duval County. The Colts haven't beat the Jaguars in Duval County since Matt Ryan was like 28. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how it feels at this point. Um, so what do we think? Is Let's stake our claim right now on June 21st. Colts don't go to don't, Colts don't go to Jacksonville for another three months. But do the Colts win in Jacksonville this year? Yes or no, Matt Taylor? Yeah, I mean, if, if they want to accomplish all the things that they have openly talked about goal wise, this has to be the year. And and I love the fact that there is collectively a, a sense of urgency amongst the team or within the team. You know, because we had guys in here all off season long. 
uh, during the mini camp. I'm paraphrasing here, but we would close out the interview and we would always ask him some sort of question regarding, hey, have you looked at the schedule? What do you think of the, the front-loaded nature of the schedule, playing five AFC South games in the first seven, winning a division for the first time since 2014? And, and everybody would say, the season has already begun. Like, we're not waiting mindset-wise to get there once training camp starts. So uh, I think it's healthy to actually talk about those things and to be, you know, ha- have those things out in the open because it just means you're prioritizing them. It, it's being talked about, and, it's it, again, it's that sense of urgency that I think everybody has right now. So if, if you want to win the division, you got to take care of business at Houston, at Jacksonville, because it's a gauntlet. You know, those two games against Tennessee are going to be massive, just as they were last year. You're playing the AFC West. It's going to be really hard to come by, you know, gaining you know distance, if you will, in the division after the first half, because you only play one division game in the last 10 games of the season, and that's not till week 18 uh, when the Houston Texans come calling again at, at Lucas Oil Stadium. So I think it's actually healthy and a good thing to talk about those things now, and that's why I think they you know, break two different streaks uh, in the first two games of the season. On the road at Houston, you win a week one game for the first time in a long time, and then week two at Jacksonville, you win at Jacksonville for the first time since 2014, and you erase a lot of bad memories. That 6 to nothing game in 2018, uh, obviously last year missing out in the playoffs, so sort of put two bad streaks to bed right away, and then all of a sudden you're 2-0 and and you're 2-0 and inside the division as well. Lara, am I completely overthinking it if I'm like, you get Jacksonville in week two, they have a new coaching staff in place, it's better to get that game out of the way early anyway from the Colts' perspective, but also – they might still be trying to feel out who they are as a team. I what agree. Their identity is. I totally agree. Early with that. in the season. Yeah. It's certainly not one to overlook. I think it's going to be harder to win in Jacksonville in 2022, even than what you faced in 2021, because you have Trevor Lawrence in that same article that we referenced Quiddy Pay being a breakout guy this year. Nate Tice referenced Trevor Lawrence being the breakout quarterback this year and he now has Doug Peterson who obviously has strong connections to Frank Reich both of those guys worked so closely together in Philadelphia he's a guy who's going to be a really good fit for a young developing quarterback like Trevor Lawrence they are a team that has a lot of new pieces but yes you mentioned it's early in the season it's going to be week two they're still going to be figuring things out but the Colts might still be figuring some things out, too. I mean, not in much a dissimilar position with the number of the new pieces that they have as well. I think it's a tougher game to win this year than it was even late in the season last year. But I think you're better suited going into this one than you were at this point to close out 20, the 2021 season that you had when you played in Jacksonville at the end of last year when you played there in January, which kind of seems like a whole lifetime ago when I think about like whenever that game was. Like I was just thinking about it and I was like, oh, how long ago was that? It kind of feels like a full year ago, but it's really only been just about six months. But I do think it's going to be harder. I think Jacksonville is going to be a better team because of the coaching staff they have and the young players who they have who are stepping up. I mean, Trevor Lawrence looked really strong in that game. Uh, which the Colts Colts faced him head-to-head. Look at the difference in Trevor Lawrence from the first time you saw him last year to the second time 
you saw him in the 2021 season. And that is only going to continue to accelerate under the guidance of a Super Bowl winning head coach like Doug Peterson. Well, and even, you know, for for all the discourse about the Jaguars, what they did in free agency and did they overspend, they're a better roster. You know, Christian Kirk is a better wide receiver than they had on their team last year. Zay Jones is a good wide receiver who they brought in. Evan Ingram, a good tight end they brought in. They have they have good players on their team. They have talent. I, I agree with you though, JJ. Get it get it out of the way early. Yeah, you know, let's right. let's post it at the beginning of the season, give you some motivation and also kind of allows you to kind of circle it on the on the schedule inside the locker room, you know, if if they do those kinds of things still. But get it out of the way early and get that bad taste out of Jacksonville, you know, in terms of missing out on the playoffs last year. Have some motivation and have something to kind of strive for at the beginning of the year. I like the fact that it's week two. Hey, by the way, speaking of early season games, the Colts just announced on Tuesday morning that the home opener week three against Kansas City is a sellout, as is the Monday night game against the Pittsburgh Steelers on November 28th. The old, excuse me, the only way to get tickets to those games, you can buy groups of obstructed view or standing room only seats. You can buy season tickets as well. Those are how you're going to get in the door to either of those games because, man, how about that? It's great Sellouts, news. sellouts. Already. Mid-June, we got sellouts. <laughs> I love it. Love the excitement around this team. But the thing I'm excited for right now, Mayte, the random thought of the week. Play the jingle. All right, guys, random thought of the week. It's pretty short and simple this week. I know we're kind of up against it time-wise. Lara and JJ, Lara, I'll start with you. Lara, if you combine lemonade and iced tea – Right in the golf circle, lemonade and iced tea that makes an Arnold Palmer. What drink combination would you uh, make, Lara, that would be known as the Lara? I love this. This is probably the question on the rundown that I spent the most time delivering. <laughs> I always spend the most time delivering. Sometimes I'm, I'm not going to give you guys a heads up on the randomness of the random I thought know. of the week. No, I'm glad, I'm glad you did because I really spent some time. And this is something I haven't made yet this summer. But now, you know, it's summer solstice, first official day of summer. So it is time to do the spicy margarita. I am a sucker for any sort of like a spicy cocktail. There is a drink called the Fire and Ice at Delicia in Broad Ripple, and it is one of the best drinks ever. So I like to, this is a wonderful little uh, summer cocktail. I will infuse tequila with um, fresh chopped jalapenos. Make sure you remove the seeds though, because you don't want the seeds in there. I'll put it in a mason jar and let it kind of marinate overnight. Let it infuse, if you will. Then you do the uh, spicy, the jalapeno infused tequila. Uh, slice up a couple of fresh uh, jalapenos as well. You do a, just a splash of some simple syrup and you want to squeeze a lot. I like a lot of fresh limes in there. And then you top the whole thing off with either like a lime LaCroix or a Topo Chico. You rim your glass with tahine and that is the Wow. The, my favorite Lara Overton summer cocktail. That's what that's what you go with. And very low calorie. There's no hangover to it because there's you know not a lot of garbage added in, not a lot of sugar. It's really really good. I think yeah. I I think I just got drunk listening to yeah. that. That's awesome. <laughs> so I, I you didn't have anything that. like that down in Key West, maybe? <laughs> no, nothing that complex. You know me. I don't want to have to think. Just give me the drink no and let's go. <laughs> I appreciate that Lara Lara gave you guys a drink you could actually drink and actually enjoy. 
I would, like, if someone's naming a drink after me, it's probably stereotypical Chicago garbage. So it's probably, like, <laughs> Jardinera-infused Malort poured over an old-style, like, yeah, Ugh, exactly. That sounds yeah. awful. Yeah, like, it's probably some garbage are, like are that. We making, you can... Are we making cup snakes out of that, JJ, in the bleachers there? That's a, that's a, a, Wrigley, I, I'm a South Sider. That's a Wrigley thing. <laughs> okay. No. No, yeah, but, that sounds like something I throw up in the bottom of the eighth, yeah, JJ. Yeah, uh, well, you know, maybe the bottom <laughs> of the second, depending on how many you have while you're tailing right, before right. the game. No, it's it's probably some some dumb garbage like that. Early in the pandemic, um, you know, when, when everyone's— it, Became alcoholics. Well, right, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you know, we're all in weird moods. We're all in weird places. And, and you're sitting I, at home. I yeah. decided I was going to try making a Malort Mule. And I don't know if anyone listening to this podcast has had Malort. If you haven't, don't. Uh, it tastes like, um, I would say, propane-infused pine needles. <laughs> Why oh. are you drinking this? What, what, it's, it's what's enticing about Chicago this? It's a Chicago thing that started as a bit, and then it kind of grew a little too big. Anyways, wow. so I, I poured, instead of vodka, into uh, Moscow Mule, I, I poured Malort with some lime juice and some ginger beer and I drank it and it uh, tasted terrible. Sounds but, terrible. You yeah. know what? The pandemic was terrible and it was yeah. like, well, this all sucks. Trying so weird I might things. as well have my drink suck too. <laughs> it's great. Wait, Mayte, what's your drink? So my drink probably already has a name. I'm just not privy to it. So as I describe this, you're probably going to say that's a, you know, whatever, but you take, you take whiskey, you take amaretto and you take a Coke and you pour that into a whiskey glass. You fill it up with ice all the way to the brim, and it tastes just like a Dr. Pepper. So that's my go-to oh. drink. If, I, if I'm not going to drink a beer, uh, my friends do indeed call that the Mayte. Whiskey, amaretto, and a Coke in a whiskey glass, and I swear it tastes just like Dr. Well, you've Pepper. Heard of ha- you've heard of a flaming Dr. Pepper? Like well, I no, said, no, no, it no, probably no, already has a different. name. This is different. A flaming Dr. Pepper, you light the drink on fire, <laughs> and then you drink it, and it tastes like a Dr. Pepper. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm skipping out the the flammable phase. So this got me thinking about two of my favorite Simpsons bits, because um, I'm a big Simpsons guy, and obviously the flaming Homer, classic. Yeah, I've seen that episode. Uh, That's an yeah. early, early oldie yeah, but, but a goodie. Uh, real, just you know, one off, one off joke where Homer goes into the Quickie Mart and he goes, you got any of that beer that's got Skittles floating around in it? You know, <laughs> Skittlebrow. You, there are so many different things you can do with your beer. The flaming your... Dr. Pepper. Anyways, coming up later this week on the Colts Audio Network on Friday, the last word. We'll bust out the burning questions on the Colts offensive line and have a sit-down with Pro Bowl center Ryan Kelly. Also, be sure to stay tuned to the Colts Audio Network throughout the summer. We will have our Colts Reunion podcast series That'll be sit-downs with Robert Mathis, Dwight Freeney, Marlon Jackson, Antoine Buffet, and Ring of Honor member Chris Hinton. Subscribe to the Colts Audio Network so you get all those in your feed. Give us a five-star review while you're there. Follow us on Twitter at JJ Stankovitz, at Lara Overton, at Maytake Colts. Remember, you can send us your questions anytime for the mailbag segment. We'll be back here next week, next Tuesday, with another episode of the official Colts podcast presented by WinBet. For Matt Taylor and Lara Overton, I'm JJ Stankovitz. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time.